Hey, good morning. Those of you who are new to our church, I want to welcome you this morning, and I'm looking forward to sharing a message this morning from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This will be the third message I've preached in Paul's letter, uh, and we'll still be in chapter 1 today. We're going to be looking primarily at verses 15 through verses 23. Let me tell you a little bit about where we are in this letter. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus while Paul was imprisoned in Rome at the end of his life. Paul founded the church in Ephesus on his third missionary journey and spent two years there. And he sent this letter back to them to encourage them and to teach them. It was one of four letters that Paul wrote from prison called the Prison Epistles. At the very beginning of this letter, what we read and learned about last week is that Paul wants to tell the people about God. The whole first 14 verses are Paul is Paul talking about the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. Paul begins his letter by saying that God has chosen you, you, every one of you, to receive every imaginable blessing that God can give you. In fact, he says God has already blessed you with everything that you need to have a great life. Now that's a remarkable thing that Paul says there. Because Paul is saying that God has blessed you before you've done anything. Before you even knew there was a God, God blessed you. You see, religion teaches the idea that if you're good, God will bless you. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says that God has blessed you because God is good. And so he then goes on and then tells us what that blessing looks like. He tells us that we're chosen. That we've been adopted into his family, received into his family. We were told that we've been redeemed through his blood. We've received forgiveness. And that God has lavished his grace and his love and his beauty on all of us. And that in spite of how the world has labeled us, God has claimed us as his own, as his prized possession. And marked us as belonging to him by filling us with the presence of his spirit. So the letter begins with Paul telling the Ephesians about God. But here in verse 15, Paul makes a dramatic shift in his letter. And instead of telling them about God, he starts talking to God about the Ephesians. And he has a heartfelt prayer that the Ephesians would have a hunger inside of them, a passion, a desire, a longing to know God better. And that's why I titled this message, That You May Know. The heart of this prayer is a prayer that they may know who God is and what God is about. You see, it's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to know God. That God wants a relationship with you. That the creator in the heavens and the earth doesn't want to just give you information in a book. But that he wants to live in you. He wants you to welcome 
him into you through his presence and through his spirit. That God no longer resides and lives in temples and buildings, but instead the temple he's building is you. Every single one of you. And so he begins the letter by talking about God. Now he talks to God about them, and this is what he prays. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and about your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Remember you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, I love this word, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the throbbing heartbeat of this prayer. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may see, so that you may know the hope to which you has been, you've been called to. And I know there's somebody here today hanging on by a thin thread. I know there's someone here today who needs some measure of hope. That you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. When we look at our problems, when we look at our struggles, when we look at the world, we tend to look at the world from the point of view of our meager resources. And what Paul is praying here is that we would know God and begin to look at our problems from the perspective of what God can do rather than what we can do. And he says that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now when we begin this letter and we look at the first two verses, we learn what impresses Paul. He looks and he begins by saying, he looks at this church and says, this is what impresses me about you. What impresses me about you is your loyalty to Jesus. When he says faith in Jesus, he's not talking about what they believe. Beliefs are easy. Loyalty and faith come with a price. Loyalty is how you actually live your faith. It's the commitment that you make. So he's saying, I'm impressed with this church. I'm praying for you. I'm thankful for you because of your loyalty to Jesus. And then the second one is how you love one another. Loyalty and love for one another. And you see, Jesus himself said in John 13, verses 34 and 35, as I, as I have loved you, you will show the world that you belong to me by loving one another. You see, sometimes when we hear Paul talk about how, what it means to be in Christ, we tend to think individually, I'm in Christ, me, Jesus, alone, myself. But to be in Christ, it's just not you and Jesus, it's also you in community to be a part of his church. What impresses us sometimes is different. We're impressed by great choral performances. We're impressed by beautiful buildings and grounds, and we have those. Uh, we're impressed by great teaching and performance. We're impressed by numbers and size. But Paul says none of those things matter. And it's not that they're not important. But what matters is loyalty and love. 
I told you a couple weeks ago that I've been reading a, a new book every 10 days. I'm on a, a quest to read the most books I've ever read in a year. And I just finished reading a book, which may be one of the best books I've ever read, about a person who demonstrated exceptional loyalty and love. This is the title of the book. It's called Endurance, The Incredible Voyage of Ernest Shackleton. You may not be familiar with the story, but in 1914, Ernest Shackleton put this ad in a local paper, in the paper in Great Britain. Help wanted, men wanted, for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. <laughs> now remarkably, 26 men, 26 men signed on for this journey. One man stowed away in the bottom of the boat. The expedition, the expedition was to take a, a, a trip to the Antarctic to be the first group of people on the face of the earth to cross the continent with dogs across from one end of the Antarctic to the other end of the continent where a boat would be waiting on the other side to take them home. It was a dangerous journey. And they started out in 1914, but they didn't get very far on their journey. Unfortunately, what happened was they got stuck in a flow of ice in the middle of the sea. Their boat became trapped as ice flows came and pushed upon the ship, and they couldn't navigate their way through. And they sat in that boat for 10 months, waiting for the ice to break up, and it never did. Instead of breaking up the ice, the ice continued to press up on the boat. They had to get off the boat because it crushed the boat into smithereens. There was nothing left but sticks. Here they are, no communication, no modern communication, 27 men, limited food supplies, in the middle of the Arctic Ocean, the Great Weddell Sea, sitting on an ice floe. What do you do? Ernest Shackleton is the leader. They stayed on that ice floe in near darkness for four months, hoping that the ice floe would take them to an island close enough to where they could escape from the ice floe. But instead, the ice began to break up. They then had to get in three small boats and make a difficult passage across for seven days across a very violent hurricane wind force seas to a small uninhabited island that had never been visited for but called Elephant Island. There they landed, starving, hungry, dying. One man had a heart attack upon getting out of the little boat. One man had his feet amputated. Shackleton then got on a boat, 22-foot rep boat, rigged a cell on it, and said, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go get a boat, and I'm going to come back and get you. He and four other men got in a boat and sailed across the most dangerous seas known to man called the Drake Passage. Forty-foot-high seas, gale-force, hurricane-forced winds, 800 miles. When he landed on the island of Georgia, he then had to cross the island with no gear, freezing cold, never climbed a mountain, crossing a place that nobody had ever gone before, no human foot had ever stepped on this soil, to get to a whaling station. It then took him three months in four different boats 
to get back to Elephant Island to rescue the men. He saved every single man. All 27 came home alive because of his unwavering loyalty and commitment to his cause and because of his love for his men. It's a long way of me saying to you that that's a perfect example of who Jesus is for us. That his love for you is not based on your present circumstances. His love for you is not based on how he feels about you from one moment to the next. His love for you is not based on his own personal circumstances. No, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for your sins, he demonstrated unwavering commitment and loyalty and love for you. But think about your own self. Often, our loyalty is based on how we feel. Our love is based on our circumstances. Our commitment varies with how we feel about the world and about this life. Which is impressive then when you read what Paul says. Because Paul then says, I am praying for you and I've never stopped giving thanks for you. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about that. Where is he when he's saying these words? He's in prison. He's two years from the end of his life. He is physically, emotionally, and spiritually deprived. Yet at that moment in his life, he is filled with gratitude and praying for someone else. Why? Loyalty and love. You see, Paul, when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, something happened on the inside of him. He found something. He found that inner drive that drove Shackleton to get his men. He found that inner drive that brought Jesus to the earth for you and me. He found something at the core of his being that so often eludes us. So that's why he then says, I pray. That you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God better. Everybody in this room, we have all kinds of things going on in our life. I, some of you struggle with your job. Some of you struggle with depression. Some of you struggle with an addiction. We, some of you struggle with unresolved grief. And most of the time when I pray and we pray for each other, we pray about those things. But what Paul is saying here is there's something underneath it all. That the throbbing heartbeat of our prayer should be not just that we pray for the symptoms in our lives, but we pray for the deeper things that give us the capacity to have a prevailing spirit in the face of all difficult things in life. Are you with me? Am I speaking to somebody this morning? Because I'm about to light it up, okay? Because, because let me tell you about Shackleton. This is not written in the book. Uh, Shackleton, biographers say that Shackleton 
for most of his life, however, even though he had this great adventure, was an unfulfilled and unhappy man when he wasn't on an adventure. He had an emptiness inside of him that he wasn't able to address or fill. Or to, and so why did he go on these great adventures? He went on these adventures to try to look for something that he never found. And so when he was living at home in Great Britain, what happened to him is that he eventually went bankrupt because he kept trying all these different ventures and business schemes. He eventually died bankrupt on a ship having had a massive heart attack because he also developed a drinking problem. As I thought about his life, I thought about us, and what I thought was, was that he was, look, he was going to the South Pole looking for something that he would never find there. You go looking for a job, and you're not going to find what you're looking for in that job. You go looking for someone to love you, and you won't find what you're looking for in that relationship. You go looking for something in achievement, and you're not going to find what you're looking for. Those are all great things. But there's a fundamental dis-ease in you that only God can address. When I say dis-ease... What I mean is there's an emptiness, of a, a, a vacuum in your heart, in your soul, and in your life. And sometimes it sends us off on these adventures and on these journeys. When what Paul says, if we would just grow our longing for God. Because what happens is when we feel this longing, what we do, we make the tragic mistake of making good things into ultimate things. Let me say it one more time. We make good things into ultimate things. Jobs, careers, achievements, relationships. And then when they don't last, our heart is broke. But the only ultimate thing is God. Good things are good things. But only the ultimate thing can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And so what Shackleton was looking for couldn't be found in the darkness of the South Pole, but could be found right where he stood, by reaching up. And so when Paul says, I want to give you a spirit of wisdom, you know what he's saying? He's saying, don't be stupid. That's what he's saying. Quit making the same mistake over and over again. Quit thinking that you're going to get what you need moving from one relationship to the next. Quit thinking that you're going to get what you need moving from one job to the next. Quit thinking you're going to get what you need by building bigger house after bigger house and filling it with stuff that you don't need. He says, get smart and look for God to reveal to you who he is. And when he reveals to you who he is, what he says, then you'll get hope. You'll have the hope that that nothing that happens in this life that can take from you. No matter, you get cancer, you still have hope. You lose your relationship, you still have hope. You may be broken, but your heart's not broken because you belong to the hope giver. And that's why it goes on and says that we, I'm pausing because I want to get this out. I, I want you to hear this. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned somebody's ready to pass out and can't hear this right now. But I want you to hear it. He says, he says he wants us to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You know what? He's not talking about your inheritance. He's talking about his inheritance. What's his inheritance? You. He's saying that when you know him, you know your hope and you realize how valuable you are. <laughs> that when you look at all that God created, you are his prized possession. 
You are his inheritance. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 13, you know the story that a man found a field and in the field was a treasure? The man sold everything he had to get the treasure? When we read that parable, we think Jesus is the treasure and that I'm the man. That's not it. We're the treasure in the field and the man that sold everything to get the treasure was Jesus. You see, Jesus came from the earth to get the treasure. He gave it all to get the treasure. And you're the prize of his affection. Oh, come on now. If, if I was in a... Come on. Come on now. Come on. Don't you understand how important you are? You see, when you know him, you're no longer walking around feeling small. You no longer walk around measuring your life by the size of your bank account or who loves you or who doesn't love you. You don't worry about what anybody else thinks because you got... And then he says, oh man, I ought to just stop right here while I'm ahead. <laughs> and then he says, so you know the hope? When you know him, you know the hope, you know how valuable you are, and you got power. Power. And I love this line. At the end it says, and God has placed all things under his feet. He's talking about Jesus. What are the things he's placed under his feet? What do you think they are? Your addiction, your depression. Your sadness, your sorrow, your tired body, your tired mind, the boss you can't get along with, the raise that you think you need, whatever it is, all things have been placed. There is nothing that's not under his feet. What, what that means is there's nothing outside of the realm of God's love and power. You see, you look at your life from the point of view of your meager resources. <laughs> but when we look, when we change our vision and we realize who he is, our resources are not meager, our resources are great. Oh. And he's placed all things under his feet so that wherever you are, the one who loves you can reach down, take you up into his arms. But the problem is we just keep feeding our souls on the wrong things. We nibble at stuff that fills us up but we never get to the rich bountiful table that he's given us. And so Paul says clear it all away. And get smart. And ask God to fill it. I am praying for our church to be hungry. To be starving. For longing. For our 